this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. I want to ask you a question this morning. What gospel do you preach? The main point this morning is that Jesus is king. He has a kingdom. We have been chosen for it, and he gave us a role in it. In uh, our previous series um, before the holidays in the book of Titus, as we were walking through it, I was challenged because as a pastor, when you preach uh, gospel truths, you're challenged also to live out those gospel truths, and we want to we live faithfully to those things, and sometimes they're, uh, they're challenging uh, for, for us to live out in front of a church as well. And one of those is that we're supposed to and are challenged to uh, proclaim the gospel uh, in the face of false gospels. And to be completely honest, sometimes that's, there's a little bit of fear that comes with that. And so we're challenged to align ourselves to Scripture, which says we shouldn't uh, tickle, literally tickle ears, uh, please ears of humans, uh, but rather to proclaim the gospel as it is, and that we should uh, preach the gospel even when people hear it as foolishness or stumbling blocks. Um, so preach the gospel even in the midst of false gospels. And so I was challenged with that, and I was like, okay, am I willing to do that? Like, is there fear inside of me that would prevent me from being able to do that? And so I, I started wrestling with that, and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to do this. I talked to some of my brothers in Christ and said, you know, what would those gospels be, those false gospels be? And essentially narrowed it down to three false gospels, which was the gospel of self, the gospel of prosperity, and the gospel of nationalism. And uh, so we, we worked through that, the gospel of self and prosperity, and now this Sunday we are going to look at the gospel of nationalism and what Scripture says about that. And so we're really asking the question, um, what is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of the gospel of nationalism? And I'm not talking primarily about Christian nationalism. I'm talking about the gospel of nationalism. And it is possible for Christian nationalism to become a gospel message. And we have to be really careful here. And so I want to differentiate these two a little bit. And that is that the gospel of nationalism is faith in the nation to save you. Or it's the desire to transform the nation in a way, into like a covenant Christian nation with God in order to save the people of that nation. It's trying to align a nation to God for that nation to save the world. That's essentially the gospel of nationalism, is that the nations can save you. Christian nationalism is a little bit different. It, in its uh, best form, would say that the faith of the church and the goodness of the church can save the nation. And in the more unbiblical nature of it, it would say that God has covenanted with America in a special way with covenanted documents and covenanted leaders to be different than any other nation. Now, this is extremely dangerous and you need to assess this. So I want to walk through this with you because God isn't saving the world or us through a nation, at least not a worldly nation. He is saving the world through Jesus with the method of evangelism and discipleship. And so when I say there's a gospel of nationalism at work, what I mean is there are some who believe that all of your sin and problems in this world can be answered by making America more Christian. That is a gospel message. It puts hope 
and faith in political leadership in laws and ethics that are ordained by a particular worldly nation. And it hopes that they will fix what is wrong. That is not the biblical gospel. That is a gospel of the nation. You see, God did not die specifically for America. He died for all nations and all peoples. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 tell us this. It says, So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, in him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. So who is our king? Romans 10, 9 would say, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. The, the, the very statement, Jesus is Lord, is an affront to Caesar, who would say, everyone in, the, in their culture would be saying, Caesar is Lord. In fact, on the, the, the money at that time, it would say uh, that Caesar was the son of God. And so here Jesus comes, the Son of God, being declared by first century Christians to be the Lord. Uh, uh, Caesar and, and Jesus uh, both being declared as Lord, some from Rome and, and uh, some from the Christian uh, churches. Uh, and what happens essentially is they declare that they have a king. The, uh, the Christians, early Christians declare they have a kingdom. Their kingdom is not of this world. And so think about what that, think about what that is saying in first century uh, Rome. What is that saying in first century Israel? Jesus is Lord. What is our nation? Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a nation. We have a king. We have our Lord, Jesus Christ. And we have what that nation is like. When Jesus was here in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, in verses 13 through 16, he tells us what his nation is like. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So what city in Maryland is a city on a hill? 
What light in America is the light of the world? What spice is the salt of the earth? The church is the city on a hill, the light of the world, and the salt of the earth. Most, uh, most often, from, and statistically we see this, uh, from Christians who um, really are kind of moving towards that gospel of nationalism, what we hear often is, we want America to be a Christian nation to be a light to the rest of the world. Like, sit and think about that. You want a, a nation to be the light of the world. That is giving away the direct responsibility of the church, brothers and sisters, disciples of Jesus Christ, to be the light of the world, directly giving it away to a a, a secular entity to be what we've been called to be. What light in America is the light of the world? The church. Or at least it ought to be. And we can't give away this responsibility, but rather we should dig in and ask ourselves the question, is the church the light of the world? Is the church the salt of the earth? And is the church a city on a hill? I want you to think about what Jesus is doing here. Because these truths are not insignificant to your life. These have, this matters. Like the fact that you are a citizen of heaven should change everything that you do. You're a citizen of heaven, and yet you have some occupation as a citizen of America. Or a citizen of another nation. We have uh, people from Haiti, uh, from uh, Eastern Africa, from Eastern Europe who listen. Whatever nation you are a citizen of, you are ultimately allegiant to your King, Jesus Christ. So what is God doing here? Think about how God worked through Israel, a chosen nation. He works through them, through Abraham, through David, to Jesus, the Messiah of the world, works through the nation of Israel to Jesus, and then ultimately Jesus is uh, to save the world. All nations, all races, all languages, all cultures. Like Jesus is doing what Israel was supposed to do. From the beginning of Israel being called to be God's people, when he's talking to Abraham, he says this, you are to bless the nations. Throughout uh, Genesis, through Deuteronomy, the challenge is consistent. Israel is going to be God's holy nation who's going to proclaim the gospel to the rest of the world, right? That is the Old Testament. That's what what is happening. Separate yourselves out that you might draw people in. Be different. And so here comes Jesus from Israel to Jesus to the nations. And Jesus establishes on earth God's kingdom through his life, death, and resurrection. He establishes his kingdom on earth, a spiritual kingdom that has a physical domain that is physically manifested through his local churches. We are a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality, the global church from every tribe and tongue, not based on our race or nationality, but based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. We have been declared to be God's people, a light to the world. Could you imagine us coming back to Jesus and saying, I understand what you did, Jesus. You worked through a nation to work to the nations, through one nation to get to all the nations. But now, God, we'd like to go back to one nation. I'd like for you to specially love or covenant with one nation again. It's an affront to the gospel. It's an affront to Jesus Christ himself who came not to work through the nation but instead to work through discipleship. 
I want you to listen to Jesus himself as he's talking to a political ruler. John 18, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Because Jesus is your king. He did not choose to be the king of Rome. He did not choose to be the king of Israel. And he has not chosen to be the king of America. Instead, he is the king of kings. And his dominion of lordship is heaven and earth. And the local church is the physical manifestation of a heavenly kingdom. So we have to be really careful here that we aren't working to get the right political leaders and laws in place to transform the world rather than making disciples of Jesus Christ who will transform the world. You know, it's, it's interesting, and we're going to talk about this a bit, but think about this. Are you striving? Are we working? Are we, are we preaching within the church to establish biblical leaders, biblical ethics, biblical uh, brothers and sisters in Christ with spiritual disciplines and gifts to proclaim the gospel of the nations and bring people to Christ? Or are we hoping that we can establish biblical ethics and biblical leaders in a nation? I hope that the nations look towards the church and desire what the church has. But we've got to understand who we are first. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. You've got to understand who you are for you to understand why other people would want to and why we want to draw other people to who we are. In chapter 2 of, of Peter, uh, he goes through the things of this world, the, the, the struggles that this world is in, and he says, in verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were a people, uh, sorry, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy you are a chosen race. In first century uh, uh, Israel and in Rome, as this letter would be written to the exiles, in, fir- in First Peter chapter 1, he identifies that this letter was written to exiles, to those who were dispersed among Pontus and, and Galatia throughout the nations, Christians who were throughout the nations. So he's written this letter out to them, and he says to them, you're a chosen race. Think about what that means in first century, not 2,000 years later like us. What does this mean in first century? We're talking just a few years earlier, God's people, the chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession, was Israel, one nation. That's who God's chosen race was. For Peter to write this to the exiles who were from every nation and every race and every tongue was to essentially say, the nation of God, the kingdom of God, the church of God is not going to be established by nations, but it's going to be established by faith. It was a huge uh, transformation of who the people of God were. For Israel, it was a struggle. Look at Romans. This is what essentially the whole book of Romans is, is about, at least the first portion, is for the Israelites to understand why are these Gentiles now part of the people of God? How could they be the chosen race, these chosen people? Look, there is comfort in knowing that in a world full of many different nations and ideas and, and, and political parties and all of those different things, you've been chosen by God to be a part of his kingdom. 
And you are a royal priesthood. What was the purpose of the royal priesthood in the Old Testament? Like when you look at what they did, they offered up sacrifices for the nation, specifically for them, for the nation, and then for the nations. They would offer up sacrifices for the nations to purify and essentially to call the nations back to God. The purpose was for the Israel to, to be a nation that other people wanted to worship their God and wanted to be like them, to call the nations to be uh, like them as they worshiped God. In fact, at the beginning of 1 Peter, it says, be holy as I am holy. Like, that's our challenge. Be holy as I am holy. So we are a royal priesthood who's calling the world back to God, offering up a sacrifice and the beauty of the gospel is this, that the sacrifice we offer up is not like in the Old Testament, multiple sacrifices for different types of sins and struggles. Instead, we offer up one sacrifice. Hebrews tells us we have a final sacrifice, who is Jesus. And so we are a royal priesthood, declaring Christ as the final sacrifice to the world and calling them back to him. We are a holy nation. God has specifically called us out to preach the gospel, but to live holy lives because those two have got to match up. It means that you're going to be separated from the world to God while being in the world. You're not going to be of it, but in it. It means that we're going to preach the gospel for people to come to God, not for us to become like the world. So we strive to be holy like God. This means that we've got to be different. This means that we have got to separate ourselves out in what we do. This means that like your uh, the way you parent your children ought to be contagious. Like the world ought to desire. They, what, what should happen is they should see your children and go, man, I want my children to be like that. Tell me what you did. How did you raise up your children? And you go to scripture, you go, this is what God's word says. This is what I implemented. And this is what uh, I raised my children up at, as. And the people ought to desire, like want that kind of family. The way that husbands treat their wives and wives treat their husbands the way that parents uh, treat their kids, the way that uh, uh, leaders in the community treat those who follow them, the way that business owners treat their employees, the way the government treats their people. All of these things are challenged. Like if you are in the government, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't work in the government. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't work in businesses, secular entities. It means that you should be in that and influence that area, transform that area, because you can't contain who you are. You are a holy nation. Here's the struggle here, man. This is what we ought to wrestle with as a holy nation who's been called out by God to proclaim the gospel, to be holy and righteous in the sight of the nations and the church. Like we're supposed to be different. The church is supposed to be different than all the other nations because we are a kingdom and we have a king and we have responsibilities. And those responsibilities that look like this, like to care for the orphan and the widow, to care for the refugees. Like when you ask, seriously, ask this question, who's supposed to care for the sick? The church, who's supposed to care for the refugees? The church. Who's supposed to care for the orphans? The church. We've got to look. And I mean, you try to pin me down in a certain political party and you're going to have like a a difficult life. Uh, People have come into church and be like, I think Matt's a Republican. I think Matt's a Democrat. I think all of these different things. Look, let me tell you something. I'm going to preach God's word, and if where, whatever that you think that means I am, I, I'm not concerned. What I'm concerned with is I want you to know that I love God's word, and I'm going to preach God's word, and I'm going to try to live that out. 
If that looks one way, okay. If that looks another way, okay. I hope that I'm identified as the kingdom of God, a part of the kingdom of God, not a, a certain political party. And so what I'm telling you is this. When we give away the God-given responsibility in the kingdom of God to a political party or to a national uh, government or to any other agency, we are giving away our responsibility as God's people. Like, it's beautiful to have hospitals and doctors and schools and um, uh, senior uh, places for senior saints to live uh, and be taken care of. But don't forget this. You have the responsibility to care for the elderly. You have the responsibility to care for the orphan and the refugee, for the poor, for those who have no food and no home. Like, that is our responsibility. And, and, and as much as the government wants to take it away, we need to hold it back and not just give it away and stop doing it. Just because you see someone else doing it doesn't mean that the responsibility has been taken away from you. You are a holy nation. And you have a responsibility in God's kingdom to do what he's called you to do. And so we teach our children. My daughter's in public school. Some people will judge me because of that. Okay. Every night, my daughter asks me questions. Well, every second, my daughter asks me questions. <laughs> every night, I, ask, I, I give her space. I give her intentional space. Evie, ask me whatever question you want. She loves it. Craziest questions. And she'll say, but Daddy, I, I want you to look it up on the phone. And I'll say, Evie, I'm going to tell you the answer. I'm going to give you the truth. I might look up a picture for you so you can see this truth, but I'm going to give you the truth. And that, here's why. I want her to know that her daddy's going to feed her truth. And when there's lies in this world, I'm going to try to correct those. And I'm going to try to speak truth and grow her up and invest in her because I love her. And because I'd give my life for my wife and my kids. And I want her to know that if somebody's going to invest in her, it's going to be her dad. And I'm going to constantly try to speak truth into her life. And I'm just asking you not to give that up. Don't give up care for the orphans and the widows. Don't give up truth to your children. Don't give up love for your spouse. Don't let somebody else love your spouse more than you do. Don't let somebody else take care of your grandparents when you have the opportunity. Care for those who need care. Like, we are a holy nation. we got to be different than the world. We can't just give up our responsibilities to the world. And we are a people for his own possession. Man, that is such a good identity and truth to understand when it's a good God. I've said this before, and I have to constantly say it. We have new people coming to this church, and I hope that if you've heard this before, it'll just be saturated in your mind. You'll hear it again from God's word. People who are in difficult situations love this truth. People who are in oppression and who need help in countries where there's death all around them and warfare and, and, and being killed for their faith. Over 200,000 Christians will be killed this year because of their faith. Simply because of their faith. And for every single one who is out there who's in a, a place where they feel like they can't speak up for themselves, there's a just and righteous God who's declared that he has vengeance and that it is his and that is good, and to be that God's possession, to be his. Like, I want to be his. I want to be a good God's son, servant. I want to be his. 
And so when we understand this, man, it transforms how we live within a nation. We are, we are citizens of heaven, working as citizens on earth, transforming this world, but not being saved by it. And in the midst of that going, God is my king and my Lord, and I am his possession. Which means that what he wants me to do, I do. What he calls me to do, I do. Not perfectly, I struggle. But ultimately, we ought to, as a church, desire and, 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 and work towards and call, ask God to work in our own hearts to do what he's called us to do. And there's a so that here, y'all. Chapter 2, it says, So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've been given an identity for a purpose. You have been, you've been given this status as God's people. Don't waste it away. Like I said, don't give this away. You've been given this identity for a purpose so that you may declare the praises of God. You have a mission. God has given you the methods, and he's given you a message. Go live it out. The simple way to say this is you, you, uh, we are called to embrace a new identity because we are a chosen race. We uh, are called to preach his word because we are a royal priesthood. We are called to show the transformation that he does in our life through his Holy Spirit because we are a holy nation and we are called to do his will because we are his and he, has been, he is our king and lord. So, man, we have to wrestle with this. Like, like, we have to think through how this actually plays out in our life because this is not calling you to step back from government work or from working in schools or working in healthcare by any means. Instead, this is calling us really to wrestle with where do we place our hope and faith in this world? What is your hope and your faith in? Do you believe that a better nation will lead to a better life? Do you believe that a better nation will lead you to salvation? And that, that's something that as Christians we have to wrestle with. Our faith is in Jesus and in him alone, which means that it shifts what we believe the purpose of the government is. And it means we shift what we believe the purpose of health care and schools and all these different things are and how we live within them. And so I want you to think differently. And I want you to really ask yourself the question, where do you place your hope? Is your hope in Jesus to save the nations or is your hope in the nations saving Christians from an immoral society? That's what I hear uh, the majority of. Is like uh, Christians uh, who uh, have taken kind of this gospel of nationalism and sometimes who are leaning into that Christian nationalism stuff. Sometimes what happens is they start to shift into this idea of like, um, if we just make America more Christian, if we have more biblical leaders and more biblical ethics and more biblical laws, and if we just make it more Christian, then everybody around us will be better. And like life will be better. And I'm like, Jesus, like, that's exactly what Jesus stepped into. The Pharisees and Sadducees had this idea that, like, laws would make people good, and, and it didn't work, and, and all, like, the nation continually rejected God and turned away from him, ended up going to other nations and being destroyed, and, like, we saw it time and time and time again, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes, and you're like, what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to become king of Israel? Is he going to become the king of, uh, of Rome? Is he going to become, uh, change the political leadership? Is he going to uh, change the Sadducees and Pharisees? Is he going to work from the top down? What is he going to do? And all of a sudden he starts working with the outcasts, with the sinners, like you and me. And then all of a sudden we see him like making disciples and raising up this group and, and dying on the cross and raising from the dead and establishing this church. And you start to ask the question, okay, well now what will we do? Like Peter and James and John are asking him the question all the time. So God, do we, or, or asking Jesus specifically, 
Who's going to sit your right and your left? And Jesus is like, I'm going to go die on the cross. And they're like, no, 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 you're going to reign. You're going to, you're going to lead. You're going to have authority. You're going, to, you're going to be the king that we've always needed to separate ourselves out from Rome. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You, you don't get it. Brothers and sisters, as the church, as God's people who he's died for, he's given his life so that we could be established. We're not giving away our responsibility. We're taking it up. And our responsibility is not necessarily in the top-down leadership, but is instead make disciples. You hear me say this often, and I'm not going to shift away from it because Jesus' method was not a failure. We got to be careful that we don't look at Jesus' method and go, okay, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to go this other, uh, other way because I don't, I don't like what Jesus did. Jesus changed the world. He changed the world. If you want to change the world, look to what Jesus did. I'm not telling you to step away from politics. I'm not telling you to step away from your education, all those different things. I, I prayed for my brother uh, this week, uh, he, uh, I, you know, uh, our new state's attorney. In the courthouse, I was able to pray. Gave me a little time to pray, turn in a little bit of a sermon. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I prayed, man, and, and I'm going to continue to pray, and I'm going to continue to work, but we've got to be careful. And so I want to help you think through this. I want to help you think through this practically. Do you think the Bible says anything about warfare, immigration, sexuality, poverty, marriage, health, or the earth? And if you do, you've got to start asking yourself this. How do you interpret Luke chapter 2, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 18 through 19, in relation to immigration? How do you interpret Galatians 1 in relation to warfare or Joshua in relation to warfare? How do you interpret 1 Corinthians 6 in relation to sexuality or Matthew chapter 5 and 6 in relation to divorce? How do you interpret James chapter 2 concerning poverty or, or James chapter 5 concerning health? Or how do you interpret Genesis chapter 1 and 2 concerning the earth? Like, how do we see God's word and biblical ethics addressing the issues we face today? Because statistically, and this is... I mean, this is a danger that I'm talking about, and this is a, it's a danger for me to speak out on this. I can't imagine how many emails I'm going to get this week, uh, but I'm ready, and it's okay. Um, statistically, in the church today, is we, is, is the gospel of national, nationalism is pervasive. Statistically, it's like insane, the majority uh, of uh, conservative uh, Christians in this gospel of nationalism. Because you can ask this question. How do Republicans view immigration? How do Republicans view war or climate change? Or you can ask the question, how do Democrats view immigration? Or how do Democrats view war? Or how do Democrats view climate change? And if you ask those questions, uh, uh, a lot of times what people do, you know, they, they understand, they know. How, how do the Republicans address this? They know. How do the Democrats address this? They know. Well, here's what I'm asking you the question. Do you know what the Bible says about those things? I just, I want to know, are we preaching what the world is saying about these issues, or are we preaching what the Bible is saying about them? You know, they do, uh, they do interviews, they do videos, and all sorts of different things about uh, different people and backgrounds and all that stuff, uh, specifically Christians, um, and they'll ask the question, you know, um, uh, what do you think about President Blank and his view on Blank? And you start talking about, like, political stuff. And it's like, I, like, I want to know, like, Christians, do we know what every president believes but not what our king believes? And are we putting our faith in our president being aligned to our biblical ethics or are we putting our faith in our king 
who can and did die on the cross and raise from the dead so that people could have life? Like, what are you putting your faith in in this world? And so I'm not, I'm not telling you to be in a political party or to vote for a certain person. What I'm asking you to do is to, uh, to ask yourself, what do you have faith in? I'm asking you to think through who is your king. I'm asking you if you understand what our nation stands for, and I don't mean America. Do you understand what our kingdom of God stands for, what biblical ethics are, and what it would say about those things? As foreigners on earth and citizens of heaven, exiles dispersed in America and beyond, in Haiti and in in, in, uh, Tanzania and in Romania, who do you believe in? Here's two good questions, really good questions to help you understand uh, kind of if you're seeking to transform the nation or if you're seeking the nations to save you. First, do you have more to offer your government or does your government have more to offer you? I, rem- I, I was reminded how similar this, I think it was, somebody told me it was JFK that said like something so similar to that statement. I was like, whoa. I was like, hold on. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, is there is something great that we have to offer this nation. There's something great that we have to offer this world. And we have to be careful as Christians not to give that up and to ask the world to do what we're supposed to do. What do you have to offer this world? Sit down and think about it, like how great the message of Jesus Christ is, the mission and the method. What do you have to offer this world? And then second, do you desire your government to make good decisions for your American dream? Or do you desire your government to make Christ-centered decisions that lead to biblical justice? Romans 13 is so clear about this. What are you looking for your government to do? Is church, the church thrives in persecution. The church will thrive when there's not persecution. The church will thrive when the Holy Spirit is active in it. It's not dependent upon who's leading. It's not dependent upon what the world is doing or the governments are doing. It does not matter who's president. It does not matter who's prime ministers. It does not matter. What matters is, is we recognize that we already have a king and he's eternal and doesn't change. And as soon as we recognize that, what we understand is, is let's just live faithful. Let's just do what God's called us to do. Our faithfulness as a church is not going to be dictated by what the government tells us we can and can't do. In God's grace. So Jesus is king. He has a kingdom. He chose us for it and he gave us a role in it. Are we going to do it? Are we going to live it? Are we going to believe it? So my challenge to you this morning is because Jesus Christ lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died, and raised from the dead because we can't and now we can. Will you put your faith and your hope in Jesus? Second, will you learn about your citizenship in heaven? This is my challenge to you. Learn about your citizenship in heaven. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I don't even understand what that means. That's okay, but go discover. What does it mean that I, that I have a kingdom that I'm part of with a king? How does that change how I live within this world? What does it mean for you to be a citizen of heaven? And finally, will you take up your calling as a citizen of heaven? Your identity, understand what it is. Now your calling, what does that mean? What are you going to do? How's it going to cause you to live differently in this world? You know, we have political decisions that are made every day. You, you think about the, just some, some of the huge impact decisions of 2022 that were, that were made. All right? One was relation to pro-life, right? Um, 
What's that going to mean for 2023? I just want to ask you to do this statistic. Go and look up how many orphans there are going to be in 2023. I'm not making any political statement based on the pro-life thing. What I'm saying is, is what is that going to lead to? And what are you going to do about it? How is the church going to raise up and do what we've called to be, been called to do with orphans? Go, go look at the statistic. It's, it, I want the world to look at the church and go, why do you care so well for refugees? Why do you care so well for orphans? Why do you care so well for the elderly? Why do you care so well for those who are sick? I say this before, and I'll say it a lot of times. I want it to sink in. Who took care of those, uh, Who took care of the sick in the bubonic plague? Who ran towards the sick? Christians. They didn't understand it. Like, people didn't get it. Like, they were like, why are the Christians going to the sick and taking care of them? Y'all, let's not forfeit that. Let's not give up the opportunity to show the world that we have a, a different kind of love for those who are oppressed and those who don't have a voice and those who are sick and those who can't take care of themselves. So take up your calling as a citizen of heaven. Go look up the statistic. There's going to be a significant, every political decision makes an impact. Will we respond as the church or will we respond with a political belief? And I implore you and I challenge you. If at the base of everything you will ask this question, how do I respond biblically? Before you ask the question, how do I respond politically? Because the way you answer that will often dictate whether you believe in the gospel of the nation or the gospel of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, I end with this. This challenge to you. And I kind of made it clear already. Jesus came into a world and he made a decision on how to change the world. By living a life, dying a death, raising from the dead, and telling his disciples to go and make disciples. Maybe you're going to have a huge influence on, on the government. Maybe you're going to have a huge influence on political things. Maybe you're going to have a huge influence on health care and the education system. Or what, whatever political idea that you're working towards. But start here. Start with making disciples. And don't go forward unless you started there. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you. I praise you. I thank you for your word, which is truth, and that we should not back down from. I thank you for the challenge to live in the kingdom of God, not in simply the nation in this world. I pray, God, we would see every political issue through your truth and not see your truth through politics. I pray, God, that you would transform the way that we treat one another and speak to one another. I pray, God, that you would make us a holy nation and a royal priesthood, that the world might want to know who we are and why we do what we do and ultimately would point to you. May you, Father, break down the dividing wall of hostility between nations. Would you break down dividing hostility between races? And God, would you unite us together by faith, faith alone. And so, Father, we give you all these things, trusting you and your grace and mercy towards us because you've saved us despite our sinfulness. You've loved us despite our failures. So, God, we trust you and we praise you in your son's name. Amen.
you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.